0: Uh, Thank you for listening to episode 4 of the Chapter Masters Memoirs with me, Martin Wartreen and a.k.a. me, myself, and I, who is painting on Instagram. Thanks, Mum. You're really keeping us afloat with all those uh, different accounts you're making for those five-star reviews. Brilliant. Keep her up high. I'll send you that five quid in the mail. So, yeah, thanks for listening. And I'm now going to go on to the first segment. So straight off, we're going to kick into the hobby progress. This week, again, as usual, I've been kind of plugging away at the Skaven rats. I now have just five left, five dirty, stinking little rats, which will die to a stiff breeze, but they need done. So I mean, another one morning of painting will do maybe one and a half, two hours. So it's not that bad. Um, and, as well as that, I have started painting my Stormcast list. Uh, thus far, I have got five Retributors and five Protectors painted, and I'm on my way to getting uh, Castellan, uh, the Vexilor with the Banner, and three Annihilators with the Shields. So, I mean, t- ten Paladins painted in, well, like, two days. Um, just putting it out there, if you know that I've got this AOS tournament coming up next month on the 6th of February, and my Skaven are ready to go, it's a good list, it's a fun list really, it's all painted and looks nice, but I'm trying to rush through these Stormcasts and if I get the Stormcasts fully painted then I'll let you in on a wee secret, I'm definitely going with them after the one of the battle reports that I'm just going to give you a review of in this episode, uh, clearly my Skaven list is all about the bants and absolutely not about any competitive sense <laughs> but uh, straight off the bat I'm gonna talk about my first game which is game one of the 40k League that me and a couple of local ads are running this game was against the Grey Knights triple dread Knight list uh, against my black Tem- Templars triple redemptor list and um, a friend of mine Glenn in that list, he he, he As I, I ran through it last time, there's three dreadnights. One of them's a grandmaster. He's got uh, an apothecary, a chaplain, uh, two three strike squads. I think one terminator squad, two interceptors, and a paladin squad. So in terms of deployment, uh, he put five paladins, two squads of interceptors, and a Dread knight in deep strike reserve, which kind of immediately flagged up a bit of a potential mistake in my mind. Um, but I I think he needed maybe maybe the the dread that that one more dreadnite on the on the board for early kind of board presence and pushing forward with the the high movement, but I kind of let him out it because he said he had a he had a plan in mind so I was like okay you far away let's we'll see if you can uh, come up with any gotches, um so, admittedly Grimaldus and my uh basically deny the witch on a four plus strat, um, were absolutely key in this game, because in the first two to three turns, Gromaldus uh, and that strat basically stopped all of his most important psychic powers. He didn't roll any kind of 10s, 11s, 12s for those big guys. Um, he really only rolled that high for the likes of Hammerhand and that on Terminator squads, but he only rolled that high in turns one and two whenever the, the chance of combat was very very minimal so I was really really happy with that in my first game using the Templars uh, the 4 plus deny strat did literally nothing for me so if anything I'm over the moon that it kept its luck for this game against the Grey Knights so uh, as I said he really only got hammer hand off and it was a bit useless in the first few turns uh, so in my turn 1 uh, my I kind of moved everything up but staying out of his counterpunch range I pushed a Redemptor forward Towards his uh, grandmaster and nemesis dread knight, which he had pregame moved, I think, um, along with a squad of terminators. Now, I, I I was really lucky with my roles, and he was a bit unlucky with his. But in turn one, my Redemptor killed the grandmaster dread knight, but he popped the strat to fight on death with that dread knight and killed my Redemptor in turn. I mean, a bit of a hit for me, but I think it was a good trade off because I had assassinate and. Uh, aboard the witch, so straight off the bat I had a lot of points on the board uh, Turn two He brought everything in in the center of the table, but kind of field all of his charges uh, Which was a bit shite for him because his army kind of revolves around combat other than that He had kind of the, the dread knights just with a heavy firepower But with my six up and five up shrugs and five up feel no pain or five up and vulnerable saves I was able to kind of tank a lot of stuff um, in my turn two, I managed to kill his Paladins, his Terminators, another knight, and I tied up a lot of his other units, such as like two squads of Strikes uh, and a squad of Interceptors, which was really good for me. So my board control was up there already from turn two onwards, so it just meant that I had to just kind of hang in there, which as we know from the, the Templar Vows is pretty easy. Uh, in turn three... My Emperor's champion was really putting the work in as usual and by then he'd kind of maxed out a boar the witch for me. Um he killed uh, I think he killed two characters, he killed a dread knight, he, he helped no, he didn't even help kill a paladin squad, it was my uh, my sword brother brothers that killed his five paladins, which I'm super happy with. Um and turn four was kind of much the same as uh, turn three and turn five kind of just kind of kept that status quo i maxed out assassinate and priority targets as that was the mission we both took priority targets uh i mean it guaranteed 15 happily enough his turn five he maxed out priority targets as i said and to be honest the grandites kept up with me on the primary scoring so he had 40 primary to my 45 but they only managed i think it was 18 on the secondaries against my 45 so the final score was 168 for the templars so really good showing in the first league game uh overall it wasn't a great matchup for the grey knights because i mean if you're kind of anyway a competitive mindset you know that the uh, all the the kind of buffs the grey knights have are naturally countered by the black templars being the five up shrug against mortal wounds my ability to deny psychic powers uh that kind of thing um And, admittedly, he did make a few mistakes with the Grey Knights, but even with making those few mistakes, and that being his very first game with the Grey Knights, scoring 68 uh, out of 100 and taking the loss is still a really, really good result for the league. It puts him... There's another league game went on, and this puts him already... He's... I think he's third or something in the league. Um. So, yeah, that other game I'm just talking about was between... uh. Two guys, Adam and James. Adam was using his Demons list, uh, just pure Chaos Demons. And again, this was his very first game with the Demons. And James was using his Dark Angels list. And that finished 67 for the Demons and 77 for the Dark Angels. So a really close game there. Uh, Really, really happy with how Adam performed with his Demons. uh, Because he's not used to them, he's more used to the likes of Marines and Necrons. So that's Resilience. Um, I haven't gotten all the key moments from that game, but it kind of it sounds like a doozy, uh, with the the sons of the lion taking the big W. Next up, I'm gonna talk about my Age of Sigmar game that I used my in against a friend of mine, Sean, and his absolutely gorgeously painted Fire Slayers army. Um, that was uh, kind of my AOS uh, tournament prep game, and my very first game of real third edition, using all the mechanics like the command points and uh, battle tactics and battle traits and that, I really enjoyed the game, I mean you can't not enjoy the game whenever you play Skaven, the ratmen are just far too fun because they kill themselves more often than they kill the enemy. The, the, the Skaven did well enough, I mean realistically as if you play iOS and in specifically Skaven themselves, you'll know that my three Warplock Gisales did absolutely all the heavy lifting, uh, doing most of the damage to the enemy and not taking any in return, their 30-inch range, and the fact that you can put all the rerolls on them and pop the spark on them to give them three damage each, really, really phenomenal unit. Um, the lightning cannons did well and put a lot of mortals into a squad of 15 of his Auric guard, which uh, admittedly had their 4 plus shrug. Fucking cunts. Um, they killed themselves naturally, but the crack those rats had as they took the power limiters off must have been absolutely mighty. So, all in all, my escaping list, it was a bit fluffy. It basically consisted of 60 clan rats, 20 plague monks, 3 storm fiends, uh, one unit of Giselles, three individual rattling guns, um, two lightning cannons, a warlock bombardier, and a gracier on Screaming Bell. Really, really cool list. It looks really nice on the table. I mean, a couple of times I rolled a 10 and an 11 on the Screaming Bells Peal of Doom, so I was fucking raging. I didn't get the 12 just for that uh, summoned in Vermin Lord. That, that actually really. W- could have possibly turned the game but it was great crack uh, it did all right and uh, kind of found out the hard way that it can't reliably score five battle tactics uh so i'll definitely have to be going back to the drawn board um and again as i said at the start of the, the podcast some of my hobby progress is kind of linked into this as i said i've already painted a squad of retributors and a squad of protectors for my uh pretty much cool stormcast eternal list and, as I said, if I manage to get it all painted inside the next two weeks, which is all I have before the tournament is, uh, I am definitely going to go ahead with that, because I know that list It is cool, it doesn't have any dragons in it, it doesn't have any long strikes, uh, it doesn't even have a fucking teleport, but I think it's cool and it can effectively score more battle tactics than this given list. Uh, and painting full 2000 points army inside two weeks is a slow Tuesday for me, brah. So on that I'm just going to take a wee tea break and yeah I'll I'll catch us in it uh about 30 seconds realistically. I'm gonna talk a bit about the chapter approved points article that GW just dropped on the Warhammer community website. First off, Necron's got uh, pretty big points reductions across the board, which they absolutely fucking needed, to stay competitive at all. I mean this doesn't fix things, but it helps at least and that on top of giving kind of uh, everything the ability to get the veil of darkness and the the core keyword. I mean it's it's slowly but surely kind of small pebbles. It's all needed, and uh, a friend of mine who's in the league, Frankie, who's using Necrons, as you know, he has told me that his list is basically, just from what he's seen, gone down about 70-75 points, so it's all good news for him. He's thinking of including maybe another kind of uh, Psychomancer or something like that, and a squad of Scarabs, so even more shenanigans to go there the orcs beast boss on squigasaur went up 30 points and oof, that's a that's a big increase for them as well as the squig buggies going up too and um, that'll kind of limit the the high mobility meta armies that we're seeing at the minute especially with that the beast boss and squigasaur with all that kind of melee output that they'll they'll take a hit but i mean they it's not as if they can they rely on that too much, it's it's just a nice upgrade, now, as well as that, Volkite Contemptors, who have been absolutely terrorizing the meta for the past 12 months, they went up, but I think they only went up fucking 10 or 15 points or something like that, per Contemptor, now, that's ridiculous, they, obviously, we know they're Marines, so they're not going to go up too much, because Marines are GW's baby, but, they didn't go up anywhere near as much as they should have. Uh, plague burst crawlers went down. I think they went down fifteen points, and the the plague sprayer guy they have they have went up fifteen points. So basically, what you're telling me is the the one death guard list people are running now hasn't changed at all. So yeah, good on you, GW. Fucking useless. Uh, so yeah, I mean, realistically, that's uh, that's a reason that a man such as myself uh, can't even fathom but we'll move on because those smelly tanks are effective enough as it is without being any fucking cheaper. Um, real And uh, now we're just going to go back to the Tau for a bit uh, just to give an honorable mention to the, the recently previewed uh, Borkan Sept Stratagem, which is Experimental Weaponry, which basically says pick a Borkan unit and one weapon in that unit and invulnerable saving throws cannot be taken against attacks from that weapon. It's 2CP, two two so it isn't cheap, but even at 2CP, um, the fact that it doesn't have any limitations as to core or anything like that, it just says a Borcan unit. So if you have a Borcan sept and you have the likes of uh, Riptides or Storm Surge or even like a, a, a commander with the likes of that new prototype weapon Fusion Blaster that he has, which is like a beam and everything caught in that beam within 12 inches takes one of the strength it d6 plus two damage the this this will work really really well with that he'll just be able to annihilate like any form of character any form of vehicle um so yeah two cp you're going to see that all day every day 100 percent um because you can use it whenever it's needed it's just pick a unit without any restrictions so money in the bank realistically um and finally now for this week's lore segment. If you've kind of if you know anything about the Tao Empire at all, you'll know that there's a lot of shenanigans and a lot of mystery that surrounds the ethereals and basically their control over the other castes. This control really goes beyond kind of the the bonds of loyalty itself, which is clear to see, and uh, especially in the book Farsight: Crisis of Faith, which I finished up recently in the past week. Um, and specifically, I'm talking about in one of the chapters where it uh, really, I just want to put it out there, this is a fantastic book. Uh, It's got loads of the the Tao's dirty secrets in it. Um, So if you're interested in that, I I would definitely pick this up. So this describes uh, one water cast officer being summoned into Anva's chamber. Now this Anva is the Ethereal, he's not the Ethereal Supreme yet, because this is just kind of the dawn of the third sphere of expansion. So he's still an important figure, but he's not the the figurehead of the Tao Empire yet. Um. So when this water cast officer gets there, uh, kind of Anva and the officer starts speaking about the the ins and outs of the Taova, and Anva basically starts to congratulate her and applaud her for her successes so far. He then asks to see her uh, kind of stylized Talisera bonding knife that she's so proud of. Um, now these bonding knives are used uh, to signify squads that have taken taken the step to go kind of beyond natural, uh, natural unity. They're uh, ultimately loyal to each other, and they would basically in effect die for each other. So uh, she kind of unsheaths the blade and uh, holds it out in front of her for the ethereal to inspect it and just then she it describes how she starts to feel like a coldness and almost like a slight tingle in her mind and at that point Anva just looks her in the eye and just deadpan says eh, now kill yourself and without even thinking she turns the blade and plants the sword all the way up to the hilt in her own heart and whenever this happens it it describes how she looks back to Anva in utter confusion as her body slumps to the floor and she dies and I mean that's absolutely clear that this is some form of psychic control psychic mind control manipulation and also as well as this um the fact that a Colexis assassin was actually needed at the end of the third sphere of expansion to kill Anva kind of pushes that psychic point home I could absolutely go on and on about the kind of as I said all the Tao empire's dirty secrets but for now we're just going to stop here. Um I I love the tower as you can tell. I I the tower one of my first armies and I'm really psyched for this new book to be coming out. I know a lot about the tower in terms of the lore um and yeah, uh, just one further point uh, I'll say in regards to people's kind of Misinterpretation of the Tao Empire and the Tao as a race. People think that they have no link psychically to the Immaterium or anything like that. But in this book, Crisis of Faith, there is also a kind of thread that goes throughout the, the entirety of the book, which is another Watercast envoy. Um, he, I think he's poor Melkor, I think he's called. He is summoned by the Earthcast to kind of translate runes that they found on an engine belonging to the imperium of man and this engine is actually a warp drive and without anyone kind of saying to him he puts his hand out and touches it and from that moment on he actually becomes possessed by a demon of zinch and he's able to like a pink horror transform his fingers into like kind of uh flame emitters and that kind of thing uh, and he starts going mad and like cutting his own tongue down the middle almost like a, a serpent so for anyone who thinks that the tie don't have a presence in the warp is absolutely mistaken but yeah re- read this book um, and you should know by now whenever I go into lower segments that there will be spoilers ahead so don't blame me <laughs> and yeah we are going to all this episode here so muchas gracias for listening to episode four of the chapter masters memoirs podcast i hope you enjoyed it and i'll see you in terms of listener data next week